morning, sir. Good morning, ma'am. How are you? I am as peachy as a peach cobbler pie on a windowsill on the 4th of July. I mean, like you tried to be American. What do you mean try? I would not hear a single Southern woman I know say that. Bless his cotton socks. That one's a yes for sure. Oh, the joys, the joys. So exciting news since our last recording. Cookies Mania in Alexandria are not sure if they want to be associated with the podcast as a sponsor, but they don't mind being a super fan and giving me free cookies. And they deliver. They make cookies with uh, Ferrero Rocher, M&M's, Kinder, Nutella, red velvet cookies, you know, like those really amazing- the fancy cookies. The fancy cookies. They, th- there's this new thing in Egypt where the entire menu is becoming more and more American cookies are available everywhere. There's even to be yes. We make some pretty damn good cookies. Like we fuck up everything else, but we're pretty good at baked goods. <laughs> you you're not just pretty good. You're you guys are legendary when it comes to the things you guys can bake. You're the sweet tooth version of the Scottish. The Scottish are like, what can we deep fry? Can we deep fry a Mars bar? Aye, we can deep fry a Mars bar. Can we deep fry uh, Maltesers? I will just call them dirty popcorn. You know, can, can we deep fry a pizza? Aye, let's just deep fry a pizza. Can we make a fryer big enough to fry it? And then the Americans are like, hold my beer. Let's, we got here a turkey fryer. You want to fry it, sir? We can fry it. You want to die from a heart attack? America's got you. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, so that's the exciting bit of news. Uh, today's episode, we have Kai Humphreys, great comedian. Looking forward to that. I'm so excited. I would. I'm not going to unleash the fangirl. We'll keep her locked up today. Locked her in a cell. So she should be quiet for the next hour. Who's been locked away in the cell? Mother? <laughs> I was in a Twitch stream earlier and I asked, is being a high-functioning sociopath a bad thing? Asking for a member of the committee. To which he replied, no, being a... Some people who identify themselves as a sociopath are often not a sociopath. And people who identify themselves as a psychopath are often not a psychopath. And then yesterday, I came up with a quick gag of, right. it's it's time to get depressed. Let's watch Netflix. Let's watch Real Detective on Netflix. It's true. This is definitely going to be a podcast to be remembered. Mind you, the last two podcasts were definitely worth remembering. Well, it's five minutes too. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. You see, I forgot. I set my watch five minutes faster so that I'm never late for anything. (laughs) As being a Brit, I've always been known to set my watch ahead five minutes, thereby never being late for an appointment. You were saying? Uh Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. The American replies, "Uh uh-huh. There you have Uh Anglo-American. There you go. You heard it first on the Show With No Names podcast. The, the difference between American intelligence. The difference between the British and the Americans. The British, I set my clock five minutes faster. The American, uh-huh. Been doing that for years with my car. <sighs> I have to. If my car is not set ahead, I will drive around aimlessly. That's how much I enjoy being in my car. Uh when are you planning on going so, to the UK? October, November. If I can't locate permanently at that point, we'll go October, November, just to do like three weeks of recon and networking. Well, I'm planning on getting when I, like, I know my brother says rent first, then buy, but I'm thinking, you know what? I'm not going to waste, like, let's say hypothetically that rent is about 700 pounds a month. Times that by 12, and that is... 96? Uh, yeah, exactly, 9,600 pounds. And that 94? Nine, that 9,400 pounds can be better suited in repairs if needed. Property and property investment. You know, people ask, you know, tell me, are you sure you want to live in Scotland? It might be cold. Yes. It might be this. <laughs> it might be that. Yes. You know... I lived in London for 30 years and 
as much as I would love to live in London, London is just not affordable to live in, especially with what's going on in the current economical climate. So it just makes more sense to migrate myself to Scotland. If you know that you're satisfied with that house and you want a house and you find one that fits, I, it does make sense to me to buy. You're going to spend less money in ownership than Here you are in rental fees. However, Our guest has arrived. Just a little too fortuitous, huh? <laughs> good, good. How are you? Good. How are you? How was your drive in? This morning, or your ride—it it was great because I'm listening to Joe Hill, Heart Shaped Box on audiobook. Oh, nice! And he lives up to his dad, I think, which is a hard task because his dad's Stephen King, and he's—he's he's obviously went by Joe Hill because Joe King is—it's like a fake. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the first I read of his was uh, Lock and Key, the graphic novel. Yes. amazing. So um, I didn't even know it was Stephen King's son at the time, but when I when I found out, I was like, of course. So yeah, journey is fine. I'm sorry. Can we just backtrack? You were yeah. at Stephen King's house? No. Hello? <laughs> no. Wait, you, backtra- you backtracked down the wrong the wrong direction there, see? I, maybe it's because I'm Arab and I, you know, English is supposedly my second language, which it isn't, but No, I, I read a I read a graphic novel called Lock and Key. Right. By Joe Hill. And it was uh-huh. after I finished reading Lock and Key that I found out that it's Stephen King's son. Uh-huh. And then, uh-huh. and then, and then, when I found out, I was like, "Oh, of course, of course!" That, like you can <laughs> see, you can see that you can see the bloodline. Like, wow, that that that's a great way to start the podcast with the lovely banter, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to <laughs> Safe Hill Candles, the show with no name podcast. I am joined with my lovely co-host, Julia Felix. Julia Felix is from Freespace. Julia, would you care to tell Kai what Freespace International does in a nutshell? Freespace is a grassroots organization that offers supportive services to artists in the UK, US, and Australia through the pandemic. So we're trying to work and provide as much admin support, as much project organization. It's kind of the... Role. Hopefully it so works. <laughs> have you been doing a lot in the way of like on online gigs and trying to make comedy still happen without an audience? So we just formalized everything like in the last couple yeah. of weeks. And so what we've been doing is I've had two projects I've been working on, which is this podcast was right. safe. And then I also work with Tweed Pond ah, yeah, on yeah, her live action. One of our many Yeah, Amy's. so I started setting it up like a year ago. So the goal would be to get into online gigs and provide a place for like artists to network um, so that they don't have to go through like major studios yeah. and things like that or the the big hard route that they can kind of collab together more. So what, what would be the loft bar or, or some or abattoir and the artist bar <laughs> in the fringe now and can't bear to, uh, yeah. Yeah, we're getting, we're getting on, online Zoom where we can look over each other's shoulders to look for the more important person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to find where they are in the tile rows, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> Maximize Send just that video. I actually really did if someone books a gig. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this year's been about funding and networking. So we're trying to build as much of a network as many people be involved. So I'm really excited. Awesome. Safe, what have you been up to? What have I been up to? Um, I've done a few open mic online gigs. Those were interesting because it was the South African circuit. So that's kind of an interesting part of the lockdown. You can go and gig in South Africa from Egypt. And then a week later, you're doing a gig in LA and a week later you're doing a gig in london it's just so i've been starting to get onto the online gigs and when when you're doing the online gigs do you do new material do you do topic topical do you talk about the lockdown do you go back to old stuff how how have you been doing it well honestly kai i i feel like if i do topical i mean like my only covid related material that i go on about because it's till now I'm still wondering about like, you know, the years of us watching X-Files and the truth is out there, Scully. And then suddenly we are like, you know, BBC are like, the Pentagon releases that a UFO was sighted in America. And everyone's just like, when can we go out? 
I mean, that's yeah, my yes. own, that, that, that's my only COVID related yeah. material, but. Because we had a brief period between lockdowns when we were gigging, I addressed it at the top, but then I, I, don't, I didn't get the feeling that people wanted me to linger on it. I, I, I was like, everyone's like, yep, we'll get it. It's, it's COVID, right? We're, just so that you acknowledge that it's happening. You can't just go on totally oblivious. Like there's nothing going on in the world, but tiptoe on it and then get off it and then just be funny. I find that like with the online gigs, I've had a chance to like take some old gags and repolish them, rehash them out. But I'm also trying out new material as well. Like I still, I'm a bit of a silly comedian. So like I tend to come up with weird stuff like, you know, cats performing abortions or what if marijuana was used on the battlefields of Normandy, uh, stuff like that. You know going to get much crossover if you if you're doing material that that's that's that far out then if somebody else is doing it you're like yeah that's my bit <laughs> you yeah. can't you can't both come across the cat abortion like like hang on hang on <laughs> do your cats also break out into a rendition of bohemian rhapsody and mid-peak of removing the fetus yeah if, I, if i'm opening i'll use it if, if you're <laughs> opening you use it <laughs> we're just gonna have to coexist yeah, I, I, we, I had Tom uh, stayed yeah, on. Um, I had Tom stayed on. And I uh, first, like, uh, like, because I haven't performed that gag in the UK. I performed it here in Egypt, and the Egyptians love it. So one of the comedians even made a meme about it, which was like a cat looking really grumpy and was written on the meme, she must not have children, because that's what the <laughs> cats yeah. chant while they're doing the abortion. And when I was talking to Tom State about it, he just goes, cats performing abortions? That is so not your joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hack. So what do you consider new material now? Because I still consider new material. Something that I wrote in January 2020, because it hasn't had enough stage time to have developed into a, a proper bit. So anything yeah. that I've wrote in the last like year and a half, I'd still consider it to be new because it hasn't had legs yet. I think if an audience of 20 people in Alexandria saw it, that doesn't mean that I have to burn it, flush it away and never use it again. I think the, I thought the last time I performed live was November the 20th, 2019. When was the last yeah. time you performed well, live? So probably November. November, I think. 20, 2020. Yeah, we done it this mini tour. We performed like between 30 and 50% capacities. And then once it locked down fully, I'd done a live performance to an otherwise empty room apart from the other acts that were on because we'd done a live stream gig that was like um, sent out by a stream. And that would have been about November. Yeah, that though. was the last. You guys did some of the drive-in that, gigs that was too, the, didn't you? That was the first gigs we did. Was it before they were letting people indoors in venues? Because eventually they let people into like a specific capacity depending on the venue. Um, but we did do the, the online car park gigs, which was great because I thought it was going to be rough, right? I thought that the people are just sat so far apart from each other, boxed in these vehicles. You can't tell if they're laughing or not. But it wasn't like a gig to 200 people. So I went to people in a car and you you were in their speakers. It wasn't over the car park. It was radioed into their vehicle. So they were like two of them in an intimate space listening to a live performance, like like almost like they're listening to a podcast together stuck in traffic. But they can see me over there on this big screen and on the stage. And if the people in the car are laughing, they'll go, hey, toot the horn. Let them know we're laughing. And they'll start tooting the horn. <laughs> So if a joke gets a titter where, where a few people would laugh in the room, a few cars would toot, and if everybody's buckled laughing, they're all like hunking the horn together. So you kind of get the, the feedback from the audience in a, in a different way, which um, which actually gave positive reinforcement to car horns now. So if I get like someone toots at me because I step in front of them, I'll, I'll think I'm doing well. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of instantly wanting to tell yeah. them off. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I find it so funny and amusing because you see... Because in Egypt, the car horn here actually has a language. When you're driving around in Cairo, you can actually swear at someone with your car horn. Like if they overtake you in a bad way, and if you do meh, 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 that basically means you son of a fuck. So you can put a tone of voice on your horn. 
Yeah, you, you, you can. You'll have the horn for like waving at Steve as he walks past, and you've got the car horn for someone cutting you off in traffic, and, <laughs> and it's the same horn, but the way you use it gives it a tone of voice. I was in Bangalore, and my joke was that, like, I'm from a small town, so if someone toots the horn, it's because they've spotted you. So you're always looking up to say, oh, yeah, there he is. And then you wave at the car because it's one of your friends from work or something. It's a small, small town, so you get that a lot, right? And I was like, but now I come to India, people just toot the horn for everything. I thought I was famous over here. I'm just like, oh, yeah, all right, bud. Yeah. <laughs> waving at every single car. I, I often say that if you ever want to know what it would be like if Mexico and India had a love child, come see Egypt. Mexico and India, is that the, is that the mix? It's, there's just so much from both cultures. I've not been to either, but I've seen movies from both and I've, I've heard stories from both. And I'm just like, it sounds like they're described, like when yeah. I hear Mexico, it's like, that sounds like and Egypt. You, you just love a curried burrito over there. You just cur curry <laughs> burritos and <laughs> what, else, what else would there be? Falafel tamales. What, what, what do you take from each culture? There you go. There it is. What, what, so what else do, what do you take from each of their cultures? Do you essentially do you, do you take from their cultures or are you just, you happen to be like an amalgamation of their cultures? I think it's because like when you come to Egypt, uh, I don't know if you've ever been to like real Egypt. I mean, I'm sure maybe you've been to Sharm el Sheikh or you've never been to Egypt. I haven't been in Egypt at all. No. Oh. Don't fancy it now, joke. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I don't fancy it. Oh, not me. Sorry. <laughs> I've heard horror stories. Yeah, I'd love. I'd love to. I just haven't been. I'd like to. Well, uh, the, I mean, for me, like when I first came to Egypt in the '80s, it was a very different culture than different climate, different structure altogether. Over the years, Egypt has just become this massive explosion. That's a weird thing to use in the Middle East, but it's been this massive explosion of different cultures because there's like, Egypt is like the Hollywood of the Middle East. Like, you know how Bollywood in India, they make all these movies like all year long, they're making movie, 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 movie. And it's like the Egyptians are the same. They're yeah. like always making movies, movies, movies. The Lebanese are known for their singers and their food. The Saudis are known for not having a good time with alcohol. You go to the Emirates and it's like, this is what Vegas would be like if it was in the Middle East. The Middle East is just this one massive cultural pot. And now because of satellite TV, uh, Western culture, European culture, the African culture and the Asian culture are all pouring into our TV sets. So what people in the UK and then the West might be complaining about is cultural appropriation. Over here, they're just called fads. A pat, yeah. Like suddenly everyone's doing the up up Gangnam style and everyone's in the street is dancing and doing films. And then there's the Kiki challenge. And just, te just 10 years later than the rest of the world. Pretty much. Yeah. Spot on. Yeah, my, my experience of Egypt is, uh, is through your rendition safe. Like I, I know it through you. <laughs> oh dear. I would just like to mention to the Egyptian Board of Tourism that I find Egypt to be a beautiful country filled with exotic riches and cultures yet to be <laughs> discovered by everyone and anyone who wants to come and see it. My complaints are merely as a civilian stuck in an area called Agami. Kai, Humphreys. <laughs> now I'm buying a ticket. <laughs> now you're buying a ticket. A little bio on Kai Humphreys. He has three comedy specials, one including Punch Drunk, available on his website. You've done some world tours. Yeah, we've been around. Um, yeah, yeah, he's my, <laughs> he's the Robin of my Batman. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but you did something I, quite... I, I, I supported him on tour, but I also supported him emotionally. Like, them tours wouldn't have gotten through if I hadn't been propping that cunt up. He was he, falling to bits by the end of them tours. He did always look very unhappy in the pictures. Like there were some real Jack D face pulls moments. Yeah, that's his, that's his natural disposition. <laughs> but um, I can't imagine that though. What 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 was happening is um so it was one of the tours was eighteen months long because it started off three months long and then his Netflix specials came out and everything sold out. So what they did is they were like we'll like we'll go back, we'll add this venue, we'll add this country, and they just kept adding to it and adding to it. And it was meant to be. A three months two hours were left but by the time I got back and it had been 18 months and 
each venue has been working hard as a promotion team to, to make the make the gig perfect. That their that's their one event, but it's our three hundredth event, say. And and then um, we don't want to let them down. They've worked so hard to make this gig happen, and they've put some booze backstage for. And we're like, let's do this. Let's let's have a, have a drink with these guys for working so hard with. But we were like a baton that was getting passed from one promoter to the next promoter to the next. So we just spent the whole time just getting smashed, and then getting up at sometimes like four thirty a.m. To, to catch the flight. At the end of it, we we're just like, how the fuck did we? pull that off that's <laughs> amazing what? i remember being blown away because i first met you in the middle yeah. of that tour in about july time right that's so we, we start yeah, we started that sep- the september before so it was right in the middle pretty much because we ended in the december after so you saw us in the american leg in july yeah, 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 in, in Pittsburgh and Cleveland. And and it blew my mind because the level to which you guys, and I mean, I'm sure people tell you this all the time, but the level to which you guys really interact with your fans is extremely heartwarming. It was, it's not anticipated either. And that that blows my mind because that alone, aside from the performances, aside from the travel, aside from the personal navigation, is an incredible amount of energy to put out. And yeah. so I, I have a lot of respect for you guys. <laughs> uh, th- thanks, thanks for noticing that, Jules. Because that, that, like, we we do love that part. It actually, like, as much as it's an energy to put out, it kind of energizes us too. Because there's big bright lights on them big stages, and you don't see anybody. You can barely even see the front row. And it's kind of nice to just at the end of the gig just go, let's see who was sat in the darkness. Can can we just see who the faces are behind the laughs and that? So we just do hugs. Remember hugs? Oh, remember hugs. Hmm. We used to do hugs at the end. If you want a hug, come give us a hug. If you want a photo, we'll get a photo. If you want an autograph, you can have an autograph. And we'll just hang around until everybody that wants to interact with us is, is being and gone. And so, sometimes it would be dead busy and the tour manager would have to be nearby and kind of like hurrying people along and stuff so that we didn't have to ask. Because we, we didn't want to be bossy with people and tell them, look, there's a queue behind you. Can you move on? <laughs> so, so our, manager, our manager would help us out Not- with that. So. That's a nice hug. Can you? Can, or I've hugged you. No, next. How are you doing here? Yeah, there's a bit of that because if you if if you if you spend a minute with everybody and it's like a two thousand seater or something, that's a lot of minutes, you know. So you kind of have to try and make it like a bit of a scrum. So, what would have been the largest room that you guys played on that tour? I think Moscow was three thousand. Oh, it must have been near enough. It was an arena. It was. A, I guess. I guess you would call it a small arena. It was like an aircraft hangar. <laughs> It was, and and there and there was a translator at that. There was a guy who was um, translating our uh, sets into Russian, and there was some people who didn't speak a lick of English with headphones on, like silent disco, getting the getting the Russian translated version. So you would get like you get your laughs from when the joke landed, and then you'd get like a kind of softened laugh from when it got translated. <laughs> <laughs> it come from such a vast room like that the echo. T- Oh, the timing, the timing of it was, I was so thrown for the timing that I was just like, right, you're just going to have to roll with the punches here. You can't just, you can't just do your regular timing. You can't just breathe with the audience like you usually do. How do you talk yourself through something like that? I mean, those adjustments are, that's a lot of adjustment in a very rapid amount of time rapid time yeah i mean i i have to slow down anyway a lot because even if people learn english to an expert level even if people are from the next town along my accent is something that's hard to palate <laughs> so so i need to be clear and enunciate anyway i need to tie my enunciation into my timing uh so i i'm, I'm already like thinking about that and i have been for like the last well since 2014 was when we first started doing european tours so the best part of a decade i've been i've been concentrating hard on being understood anyway so the the additional like adding that timing into it's just like if i had went from just doing gigs in the uk to doing that moscow gig with a translator that would have been a tough leap but the fact is i had enough experience between between the two for us to adjust I'm just trying to imagine you hugging and embracing <laughs> 3,000 Russians afterwards. Oh, we had a belt that time with the Russians, man. We, we, were, we hit the vodka. We, we cliched up. <laughs> we, <laughs> yeah, there was a Korean on who was from far eastern Russia, right? And he, he didn't speak a word of English. And what was funny is we chatted to each other backstage. He was speaking Russian. I was speaking Jory. And we didn't understand what each other was saying, but it didn't stop with talking to each other, right? Laughing at the things that were saying that were not getting understood at all. And then um, and then he, he went on and done his set after me. So I, I was on 
introduced him to the stage and then he brought me back on and I brought Daniel on. So there might have been an interval. I can't remember exactly, but I just know I brought him on after me. So when I brought him on, he turned and pointed at me and said something to the mic in, in Russian and the audience just fucking died laughing. Like the whole place erupted. Opening gag, right? Opening gag, crushed. And he's pointing at me. And when he came off, I'm like, what the fuck was the joke? He didn't understand what I was saying. So the translator guy was speaking between me. Um, he was speaking between he was speaking between me and this Russian kid. I wish I remembered his name. And apparently what he had said is, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that is the most Russian-looking man I've ever seen <laughs> about me. Uh, give it up for my uncle. <laughs> so, apparently, apparently I look Russian to the, to the point that it's a killer gag to point it out in Russia. <laughs> I um I had some friends so I have a very good friend of mine from from high school who lives she's living in Germany now but she studied in Russia outside of high school for a number of years and I know because she and I talked for the first time in like almost 10 years like three weeks after you guys yeah. did the Russia gig right and she was telling me about you guys like I needed to know who you are and find you on Netflix because her buddies had been at the show there yeah and and we were having this I had this huge laugh with her because I was like I was just I was just there at two shows and it was they it was incredible I mean you guys did an amazing Uh, job Thank you. That that was the, that. the key for us was even though we were going out and we we're drinking and we we're partying, the, the key was the gigs always got to go well. Like it, we we wouldn't we wouldn't have done the drinking and the partying and stuff had we not been performing on the night. Like if the performances had slipped the slightest bit, we would have we would have had to step back because that's the that's what drives the whole thing. You know, the partying and all that fun stuff aside. Um, but yeah, we 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 do, we do hold an importance of how well the gig goes. Yeah, but a a part of that partying, yeah, part of that partying and everything is absolutely necessary too. I mean, especially given the context of a lot of what you guys were discussing in the shows and the repeat of that. I mean, I I I live with with repeat memories of stuff, and that's that is not easy to go through that those stories. You know, Daniel's specific story with X, and I mean, you as a friend of his walking through that with him, that's not easy. So you need that release. That yeah, we we actually we actually found that um, if if I heads people up in the at the end of my set that Danny was going to go down them roads, uh, that he was going to talk about them things. It actually like because uh, we just listened to people afterwards. They were like, "Oh my god, that was a good punch. I didn't see that coming. I didn't know that was going to happen." And like, uh, it, 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 and we were like, "Should should we heads people up beforehand?" And we realized it was. Um, it was worth me saying at the end of my set, look, Daniel talks about, um, he, he doesn't shy away from topics that would otherwise be seen dangerous because these are things that need to be talking about, like talking about death, talking about disability. And I'm like, this, he's, he's going to be talking about sexual assault. So if you have been affected by any of these things, just just uh, be aware that he's, he's going to bring that up. And we found that that did help a lot with people, um, with people palating what was coming out, what was what was coming at the end of the show. I, I guess if people don't know um, the show I'm talking about, it's X, which is available on HBO. And I don't think it's available in Europe just yet. If you're in America, you can watch the show on there. Yeah, I I have, and this is my my own complicated psychology, but I have a very adverse reaction to trigger warnings most of the time, and mm-hmm. it's mostly it's mostly just because of the way my brain processes, which is. I want to continue doing everything the way I want to do it. And I don't want my trauma to come into hindering that. So to me, it's my responsibility to become sustainable, to be yeah. able to handle triggers that come up. My sister who was with me at the show is the complete opposite, right? She's a fluffy little bunny who needs a lot of warning, <laughs> right? Uh. Like some things aren't Nicole safe. <laughs> yeah. And I tend to have an automatic reaction of no, to trigger warnings because it you to me I lose impact and I lose effect when I hear a trigger warning but the way you guys handled it I think was done wonderfully because it wasn't like oh welcome to the show heads up this is gonna happen you know what I mean there was a whole setup you did your entire your entire show and then you talked about it and it was just handled way better than you know the blanket warning you'd get on 
TV, for example, you know, yeah, black it, screen it, type thing. Yeah, if it, if it had been putting text on the screen, if it had been like uh, put over the tannoy, like soullessly put over the tannoy, anything like that, I think like the, the, the as part of the show, it was just incorporated in me like wrapping up the first section. I would just be, I'd just be like, heads up. I, I, I try to, I try to just, even though it technically was a trigger warning, I didn't package it as a trigger warning. I was just Mm-mm. like, look, you're in safe hands. Don't worry that if, if he goes down some roads that, like you, you don't expect him to go down. He's, he's, you're in safe hands with Daniel, pretty much, is the angle I came from, not the words I went with, but the, the tone I went for. Right. But that conversation makes it less weird, I think. Because that sort of dialogue tells me that it is safe to venture into the dark. It doesn't tell me, trigger warning, darkness ahead. It lets me still experience my emotions and tells me that I'm safe to feel that when I'm with someone telling a similar story. It's a much more important communication. It yeah. Makes, makes it more approachable. Yeah. And that was just a, a bit of a way into the tour. I was just listening to people, you know, like, cause we, we did meet everybody that wanted to meet us after every gig. So, so in them conversations, we're just like, yeah, I think, I think if enough people have said, look, a warning would have been nice. Enough people have said that for us to just go, right. Okay. We can't not listen to that. We can't go, nope, we know better. So yeah, it was just from listening to the crowd. I think it was JFK who said uh you can please some of the people some of the time but not all the people all the time yeah but with stand-up comedy i mean like i know from my own personal experiences uh sometimes diving into dark material on stage you do get amazing reactions and sometimes you get confrontational uh, reactions it's i'm going to be watching it tonight your special and unfortunately i'm not Unless I don't tell Daniel that I might have to download X illegally in Egypt. Yeah. I think he encourages that, that behavior. Oh, oh, he does. Well, that's good to know. That's good to know. Because in Egypt, uh, you know, it's funny, by the way, speaking of Egypt and uh, illegal downloads, um, you remember how we had the Muslim Brotherhood President Mohamed Morsi at one point, And he did a Time magazine interview. In that interview, he was making comparison of the Egyptian judicial system, comparing it to Planet of the Apes. And his exact phrasing was, you know, Planet of the Apes, the old one, not the new one. I have it on my hard drive. This makes me think of LimeWire. I remember that. Napster. Uh, I I remember crashing so many of my parents' computers with (laughs) LimeWire. I'm old enough to remember the very, the the godfather of all uh, MP3 downloads, which was just mp3.com. What songs did you steal? <laughs> I, I, I remember hearing "Lose Yourself" by Eminem. Or I downloaded it off Napster, and it was one of the first things I ever downloaded. And it hadn't come out yet, and I hadn't even heard about it coming out. And I, I was only getting it in snippets, like I could play like fifteen seconds of it, and then I'd wait a couple of minutes, and it would be like thirty seconds of it. So I just kept like playing "Lose Yourself" like in <laughs> in sections as it was downloading, and I was like fucking blown away by it. Now, if you don't get a, a so if you don't get a song on your phone within the second after you press play you just give up on it you're like nah buffering no time for buffering no 14 year old me would have waited the entire day for the album and i think at yeah. that point i was downloading that's what it was so my parents they wouldn't let me listen to punk rock at all so at that age we were downloading yeah they wouldn't even let me listen to like fallout boy <laughs> i know right but what i was saying is like in relation to when you <laughs> Moving back to the 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 impact of dark comedy, because like I mean, Peter Yusinov says that comedy is simply a funny way of being serious. So in essence, we can sort of allow ourselves the ability to take the audience into a journey with certain topics. Have you ever had like a really bad reaction from audiences? Um, no, I I I, I do worry that like uh, I don't worry. I have got material about my my friend I grew up with who has Down syndrome, and I like talking about him, and I always talk about him fondly. And some of the stories about us are just fucking hysterical. The situations, and that that's why I like to regale them stories. And I do feel like when I mention his condition, uh, the audience pulls away a little bit because they're like, "Oh no, he's not going to start taking the piss out of this disabled boy, yeah. is he?" 
I do feel that like withdrawal, this this withdrawal when I just mentioned the topic of, of Andy's condition, but as soon as the audience hear how I talk about him and I'm not like, I'm not hanging shit on my friend, you know, like uh, when, when they realize that like, oh, we're, we're, we're cool, <laughs> it's all good. And then I'll get a lot of like um, interactions with people who've got relatives who, who have the, who have Down syndrome, who are really pleased that I'm talking openly and stuff about, about my friend. But I do, when I get into that topic, I sometimes worry that the audience are going to retreat because they say, oh, you can't do jokes about this. But I'm like, nah, nah, I'm not doing jokes about, about it, really. I'm not, I'm not making fun. Yeah. But I, I'm, I'm talking about my life. Yeah, a good, a good friend of mine um, is working on a, an hour show right now, and it's about her son, and she lives with her son. Who, he's... I think he's 14 or 15 now, but he has autism. And so she wrote, and, and she's working on this entire hour about raising a son with autism. You know, not, not, not all of her children have autism, but one of her sons does. And it's yeah. all about how, and I think her, her approach with him is, is beautiful, right? She's a hundred percent honest. And if she has to explain it to him a hundred times, a hundred ways she will, but she's, she doesn't keep anything from him. She doesn't hide anything from him. And she's got this real dark, witty sense of humor um, that I'm really excited to see how, how the show will turn out. Yeah, that, But I think it's great. a testament. Well, you have to be able to talk about it because it's just like it's just like we were talking about in in book club with Muggins. How do you not laugh at it? If I can't laugh through my trauma, if I can't make jokes about it, then yeah, exactly. I'm gonna get through it. Yeah, I think I think, uh, I think the trouble you get into is if you get the tone wrong. If you if you're talking about topics and you get the tone wrong and you, you you're a bit out of touch, or if you're like if you if you're just being mean, that's when an audience will turn mm -hmm. on you. If, like I, I think you can talk about almost anything. As long as long as uh, you're talking about it with empathy, with knowing, with uh, like without ignorance, I think you can talk about most things without losing the crowd, unless the crowd are especially stupid and, and <laughs> you take it wrong. Especially stupid. <laughs> that's 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 quite a nice. Okay, those uh, pockets exist everywhere. <laughs> yeah. What is that saying? Uh, the two most common elements in the universe are hydrogen and stupidity. <laughs> But um, I would like to ask you, Kai, you know, a lot of comedians and a lot of creatives now and then they hit that brick wall of creativity. Have you got like any like shareable secrets for like listeners that are also creatives on how you might overcome your creator's block? Okay, um, I'm probably not the best person to talk about this because I haven't wrote a stitch for about a year and a half. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't wrote a thing. And it's not that I can't, it's that I, I just won't. I don't have a stage, so I'm not, write, I'm not writing anything. If there's a stage to get on, if I had a new material night coming up, I'd start writing. But at the moment, at the moment, what I've been putting out into the world is, is stuff like this. I've been pressing play on a Twitch stream or an Instagram stream. I've been pressing record on a podcast. And I've been doing everything, everything I've put out into the world, which is sometimes upwards of 10 hours a week, has been stream of consciousness. And mm. it's all been said and lost to the ether. So I, even though I have been creating and I, have, I haven't let the creativity dry up, there hasn't been a writing element to it. Apart from I write a few jokes to end the podcast every week. We'll do five jokes about each other's dads that we do every week. That's the only writing I do. And I actually, right. <laughs> actually wrote three of them just before we started this stream because I'm doing, I'm doing the podcast with Daniel next. Right, to try and answer your question from a previous life when there wasn't a cool <laughs> there was a stage. The hardest part is sitting down and starting writing. It's not mm. the coming up with stuff. It's the putting yourself there. I'll find if I've got a fringe show coming up and I need to write, that's the tidiest my house will ever be because I will put everything before writing. And that's usually tidy in the house, right? So I'll do everything before I write. And that's not the best way. The best way is to just fucking sit down, open your notepad, open your laptop and start writing. Now, something I discovered in January 2019 before the world closed down is... Do a writing exercise. That's nothing to do with your comedy, right? Like, say, just do give yourself a 10-minute exercise of writing a list. Write a list of things that you'd like to talk about, right? I'll write this list of things that I'd like to talk about. Some things end up on the list that have been at the back of my mind and unthought of for a while. Some things that just come up with me now because I want to keep writing, I'll put down, right? And then I'll take one of the things off the list 
and go, right, break that down into a list. What could you say about this particular thing? And then you start writing a list about that particular thing. And then all of a sudden you stop writing a list and you start writing long form. And instead of going, oh my God, I can't write about anything. Just try and break it down into bits and then hopefully it'll come, it'll put itself back together as you keep writing. But the hardest part of that journey isn't the writing the list, isn't the breaking the list down into smaller components and writing the list on the component. The hardest bit is sitting down at the fucking desk, man. <laughs> That's the hardest bit. It's like going to the gym. <laughs> the hardest bit isn't lifting the weights up. The hardest bit is putting on your gym gear and walking to the gym. That's the hardest bit. If you can get into the gym or if you can sit down and open your notepad, you've done the hard bit. I guess that's my advice. It's funny you should say that regarding the Twitch stream, because I actually, I admire what you've managed to go with. Like when you first started last year on your Instagram for your Kai Muggins knitting chat that you used yeah, to do yeah. on Instagram. And then something happened with Instagram. They weren't allowing us to store, but then they brought that back. But it doesn't matter because... On your Twitch stream, you've got 1.1 thousand followers. That's great. That, I didn't, I didn't but know it's but point one yet. That's that's good. But news. yeah, yeah, you did not. Well, can, Mazel Tov, <laughs> congratulations. Thanks, guys. Yeah, yeah, no. How, how lovely. <laughs> don't don't get me wrong. I did I did refresh it every hour when I was approaching a thousand. <laughs> I, I, I'm not that nonchalant. But uh, an incredible amount of work. This it is, is amazing. You see, because like, here's my interesting question slash observation is that even though you do the regular every Tuesday, every Friday from, I think it's 1 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time or 12 p.m. 12 to 1. 12 to 1. Yeah, yeah. You do this thing where you have a community of knitters, fellow knitters and people who crochet, people that are a fan of your bringing a lovely community together. And what's really fascinating is that you're not sometimes talking about knitting. You'll get into rants or you'll get into like a good conversation with the people that are writing comments and so on and so forth. Now, when the whole world of lockdown starts to die down and everyone's like their vaccine and everything and life starts to get back to normal, do you think that you might actually carry on with this Twitch thing and like make that sort of become a, you know, inshallah, 11,000 followers, 20,000 followers? I'd like to. I mean, the the, the thing is with, uh, with, with stand-up comedy is it's enjoyed by everybody, but you have to be a little bit extrovert to step into the theatre and sit down in a room full of people. And like, I feel like Twitch is a real good platform for introverts to enjoy comedy and people that might not want to leave the house or leave the comfort of the, the security in the bubble. And um, because COVID's introverted me and put me in a position where I'm, I'm in my own little space in my bubble I get to communicate this way and I've found this whole new audience of people that I mean some of them would come to shows and did come to shows but some of them may not want to and I feel like it's it's creating a community it's creating a community of people that might not necessarily want to go to a show so it's I, I just think it's, it's, it's an entirely new demographic yeah exactly that's that's the words I was trying to find thanks Jules um yeah <laughs> an entirely new demographic that that enjoy comedy just as much but perhaps don't want to also that that said is that's why I always like to appreciate the people that are lurking because some people might not even want to comment people like even though there's a group of chatters and I can see the the number of the chatters and the number of people watching the, like there's, there's people that are watching that are lurking and I always yeah. like to show appreciation to them because they might not want to put any form of output into the world they want to receive so I always try and show appreciation to the lurkers too well and I I think there's something I was actually talking about this with Tweed the other day and she because we were talking about the differences between communities right and the Muggins community is different than any other community that I'm a part of, right? I mean, every community is unique in its own ways, obviously. But there's a unique uh, closeness and genuine attachment within the community, right? Like, everybody's actually invested in one another, right? Yeah, like, I, love, I love to say it. I love I love because we've got a Discord channel because I, I don't want the conversation to end when I decide to close my laptop, right? I want the conversation with you guys to keep going. And I, I, 
I opened this Discord with Josephine and uh, Brianna opened the Discord. And um, oh, they and do such I, an amazing job. And I check in on that often, and I see people like conversing with each other, sharing pictures of their pets, doing uh, sharing recipes, having knit-alongs, arranging computer games, playing Among Us, and I'm just watching this whole community of people that just started watching me chat shit on my Instagram while I knitted. And, uh, and, and I'm like, this is like, I, I had no idea this was going to happen. Like, this isn't as if I had this big plan. <laughs> and I was like, right, I'm going to build this community. I'm like, this has happened like... I have master plan to take over the world. Yeah, this has happened so organically and it's the sweetest, most wholesome thing you'll ever see. And I mean, who, who would have thought that knitting would bring such a wholesome community? Of course it would. But uh, yeah, I didn't so do you do you get Do you get time to sit back and pat yourself on the back and realize that so much of this community is because of you and the work you've put out before and during this? Well, I don't, I don't, I don't fully credit myself with the building of the community because that is so much more than me. Not that fully is, credit. Not yeah, fully but, credit. But um, I do, I do get like, when I get nice messages off people saying that I've helped them through lockdown and that like the knitting streams have been useful for them and hearing, hearing me talk openly. Cause I'm so candid. Like I, I just, I, you know me, I show up how I show up. If I'm upset about something or if I'm angry about something, I'll show up and I'll be upset and I'll be angry. If I'm happy, I'll be happy. Like if I like, and I think just that authenticity and the ability to share my emotions with people is it's it's helped people. And if I've helped people like understand their own emotions by by expressing mine, then then yeah, I'm I'm, I'm proud of that. And I, I I can't pat myself on the back for that. But uh, as far as the community goes, this, this it's a collaboration, man. Like it's. Uh, there's a oh. lot of people's backs to pat for that community. Absolutely. I'm going to take a moment and tell Joe I love her right now and that Great. she needs to pick up her phone. <laughs> yeah, jo- um, Josephine's been amazing. She's she's the glue that holds it all together, man. God bless her. Yeah. I have to admit that definitely your um your Instagram your Instagram. Well, your Instagram started it and then your Twitch stream continued it. It has made, cause like here in my house in Egypt, it's like, I have this big, huge house and I'm in the process of moving back from Egypt to the UK. And this house has been in the family for 40 years and I have to sell it and shut it down and relocate. And I have to admit that your constant like your community like that little thing that you built the the muggins community the everything it's been a nice sort of like escape from the bs that i'm going through here to just sort of like you know for and like and but it's because that's what i also wanted to add is that you don't just have the knitting then you do those like when you're going online and you're playing stardew or you're playing games or whatever you're just sort of like you're bringing about this authentic as you said authenticity but it is something that is a dying art form that you're keeping alive really really well by the way just an addendum i've seen your stand-up like whatever exists on youtube yeah i've seen your stand-up and you're an incredibly i can see why you host set list when it comes to the fringe i can see why you're an incredibly funny very well timed. That joke you did with the Rubik's cube, oh, telling yeah, jokes it, about yeah. your, your that's two nine different. Years old now. I wonder if I could do that still. But that was brilliant, and I did not know you were colorblind. Nah, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I must. Did I say that in one of the jokes? You did. You did. I mean, I think I think the joke was implied, but the fact I completed a Rubik's cube should suggest I'm not colorblind. <laughs> <laughs> that was... That's why. That's why it was a joke. <laughs> With that, because what, what I would do with that one is I would do a joke about my, uh, like, I, would, I, had, I was talking about I had two very different granddads. I had the gentleman granddad and I had the dirty granddad. <laughs> all the dick jokes and the, the gentleman who taught me how to play chess. And I would always give a bit of my granddad Pete's advice, followed by one of my granddad Harry's jokes, and the two would entwine. But what happens at the end of doing the Rubik's Cube on the last layer, there would be a bit where you can end up in a bit of jeopardy because it's not always the same on the last layer. Okay. So I, would, I had, like, jokes in my back pocket that I'd need to use if I had to buy time. So I'd have, like, time-buying jokes that would only come in if I was in the shit. <laughs> and I would put them in when I did that. But what was good is you could look down, work out what algorithm you needed to use so you could do the feed line when you looked at the Rubik's Cube. And then when you look at the audience you can start the muscle memory of the algorithm while delivering the punchline to the audience rather than looking away from them. So yeah, that's, yeah. that took some work. 
How old were you when you started doing stand-up? 25. Wow. Yeah, and you're 30, how old now? 37 now. Wow. Yeah. So you've been I'm doing it 12 years. Stepping into veteran therapy now, I think. It doesn't feel like it, though. I still feel fresh. Like, I don't know how I'll feel when I go back after this. But I, I, I still feel, like, young. Because, like, when you mentioned before, like, Tom Stade and stuff like that, like, there's always that generation ahead of me that I look at as the veterans. And now there's going to be a new breed of comedians who are looking at me as, as someone that's been going for 12 years as I, I used to look The baton has been passed down. So, yeah, I always, like, I, I still have... Like, even though I'm getting into veteran territory, there's veterans that I look look up to and still look at as, as old school, like not old school, but the old guard. I like, I like that term, the old guard. Yeah, I, I've been doing, I've been doing stand-up since 2002. So come this October, it'll be 19 years I've been doing stand-up. There we go. That's, that's you then, the old guard. I am the old guard, yeah. Next year I get my set of steak knives. Yes, all right, get a gold watch. And the test, you should have a testimonial gig. Do you know about um, with football? The players sometimes have a testimonial if they've been in a club for like 10 years or longer. And what they'll do is they'll put on a friendly match, but they'll pick the favorite footballers that they've played with throughout the years. Oh. So, what you should do is have a testimonial gig when you hit 20 years service. You should be like, right, I'm going to put on a lineup of my favorite comedians. Everyone does a short set, everyone does 10 minutes so that I can get like 15 comedians on. Would you honor me by being on that lineup? I'd absolutely honor you. I'll do the I'll do safe's testimonial gig for sure. Oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. it'll Me. be you, Patrick Monaghan, Tom Stade, Jojo, uh, Andrew Maxwell. Yeah. yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, and great Jojo's on it. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we'll try and dig up Max Star just for for authenticity. I don't know if you ever met Max Star. No. Uh, did you? When was your first fringe? Like, when did you go to the? Fr- I went there to compete in the open spot competitions in 2009, and I brought my first fringe show in 2010. Ah, uh, then you would not know Max Starr. No, Max yeah. Starr was from Tasmania, comedian at the time. Quite well known on the circuit, but he kind of stopped doing comedy and now does, I kid you not, a Jamiroquai tribute one-man. Like, you know how there's those tribute bands? It is Jamiroquai. What's the pun? What's the pun on the name? It's always there's always there's a pun a, on the band name for the cover band, isn't it? I, I I don't know. He's he seems to have disappeared off Facebook, so it's hard to find out what would be the pun. You know, I'll trademark Jamerikai. I've got that for when I that's <laughs> when you <laughs> when my career takes that route. I'll be Jamerikai. When you retrain to be a tribute Zoom singing Jamiroquai artist, it'll be... Okay, I like that. So would you retrain in anything outside of the sphere of entertainment? Like, you know, when when the, the posh boys down in Westminster got together with that ridiculous ad campaign for all of us artists that they enjoyed over the years, even when we made fun of them, and said, retrain. Yeah, that... I'd, I'd need a trade, I think. I think I'd, pro- I'd probably end up just being a Sparky or something. <laughs> I'd probably, I, I don't think I could get again elsewhere in the arts. I can't hold a tone. I can't play an instrument. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably just go and pack boxes at a factory or something. Nah, I was a, before I did this. I was a lifeguard. That was my, that was my training. I was uh, I, I used to keep the That's pool safe. Right, Nothing. I remember. Uh, I, I wasn't like um, it wasn't like Baywatch, not not in the northeast of England. I'll be there. I'll <laughs> be there. It's less running down the beach and more just getting a plaster that fell off someone's uh, cut toe out the bottom of the pool with a net. You know that kind of work. <laughs> I, I, I rarely got wet. <laughs> Um, I did do swimming teaching, which I enjoyed. I would do one-to-ones where I'd get in the water and do one-to-ones, and I also do classes where I'd stand on the side and do the classes. I quite enjoyed the swimming teaching. I'd done a bit of football coaching when I was there because in the sports hall, just for the kids. And, uh, so I'd, I'd done bits of coaching and bits of teaching. I could you also do boxing? That. I couldn't teach boxing, but I, I do. I, I've never competed, but I have trained. I, I mean, I did a charity match. If you count that as competing, I had a charity boxing match. But I, I train in Wai Thai. That's yeah, that's what that's what I remember. Muay Thai. I can handle myself in a fight unless it's against somebody else who can do Muay Thai. <laughs> <laughs>
so we're not gonna so we're not gonna see you in like a remake of kickboxer with van damme going god i have to find my brother you know what in 2018 i trained really hard to the point that i was going to start competing like i was going to start doing into clubs and stuff and then the tour swept me away from it and i had to go off on tour so like i, I nearly got close enough to to compete at the lowest level <laughs> but apart so my my sister trained in jujitsu yeah, that... for, for quite years and she moved in with me recently. And so she's been living with me now and she just went and got punching bags and mitts and gloves. This is the hardest one because you always end up with like uh, mat burns on your legs and on your arms. You're always like breaking fingers and toes and stuff. It's a, it's, it's a jujitsu. Is it jujitsu you said she did? She did jujitsu. I've never had any kind of training. And so she's just like at this point teaching me how to punch correctly and not just yeah. flail. Because my default is I'm tiny. If I just go insane, people walk away. Well, that's what the, the, the jiu-jitsu is the original like um, point of jiu-jitsu is for the smaller fighter to beat the bigger fighter because it's more like a game of chess. It's more of a tactical thing. It's like using because it, all like arm bars and leg locks. And, and It's actually funny you should mention that because we had Izzy Lawrence that her episode's going live today. Great. And her book, which is all about a girl learning jiu-jitsu at the time of the suffragettes. And I did research into jiu-jitsu. Okay. And jujitsu was originally the the art of disarming the samurai. It was the art of like disarm. Like if your opponent has a weapon and you don't, but you're a peasant and the only weapon you have is like a rake, it's the art of using that to disarm the samurai with their sword. I it's thought it the, was a Brazilian sport. No, that's Brazilian jujitsu. Is something there's two different. There's, yeah, there's two you. different forms of it. Uh, I never knew about the original. This is like when I listen to like a rap song or something by P Diddy, and then find out that it's a sample from an from an eighties track. And I heard I heard the rap song first, like like Tupac's changes when you when you find out that that's not his original beat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no jujitsu. Like the official form of it started in the fifteen hundreds. But if you ever get a chance, there's one film you really need to watch if you're into like martial art movies is yeah. Ip Man. I don't know if you've seen that. Nah. Oh, Kai, you're going to love it. Especially, you know, who, obviously everyone knows who Bruce Lee is. Yeah, and yeah, and the style of boxing that he used to do before he did the whole reshaping of his style, or if you could say he was like the godfather of mixed martial arts. Because the style of fighting he learned was Wing Chun. And Wing Chun was developed in a part of China by a woman, believe it or not. It was a woman who invented that fighting technique. And it is the one form of Chinese boxing or Chinese martial arts that is actually undefeated. It's the one style that can counter every other fighting style. So is you this, have the. No is this not phony? Is Wing Chun not the fraudulent one? No, no. Are you sure about that? Yeah, no. Whatever, whatever. Because if you watch that film, he so says... It's like the one inch, one inch power punch in that. No, the one inch power punch of Bruce Lee, what Bruce Lee was talking about was when he broke down the Wing Chun formula. And because he was a big fan. I don't know if you know this about Bruce Lee, but he had the largest collection of boxing videos he used to watch like boxing matches and to study the style of boxers and incorporate it with Wing Chun because the footwork of boxers actually gives you more freedom in fighting. Whereas in Chinese, in the Chinese style of boxing, the Chinese style of martial arts, it's always a fixed position. Whereas boxers tend to do that sort of like the hot bunny cold, hopping. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, so he took different styles and incorporated and then he started to teach his own style of martial arts. So when people today talk about Wing Chun and say, oh, that's phony. No, no. The original fighting style that dates back several centuries which was taught by Master Ip Man. Yeah, you can you can always tell which ones are the most effective in combat in actual combat is when you see what someone's background is in the UFC. So in the UFC, you often get the white eye and the Brazilian jiu-jitsu. The wrestlers do really well in it, but you, you rarely get like a guy in the corner that's Wing Chun. Like, but you, you, there was a guy Leona Machida's uh, background was karate, so you did. You, there was a karate guy that. that but I, I guess now, because uh, that's how it used to be. The UFC used to be like you get like a karate guy against a sumo guy or whatever, but now it's just. You have to be a well-rounded athlete now to fight in mixed martial arts. 
I tell you what, Kai, after we finish recording, I'm going to send you, and I'll also post it in the, yeah. port, in the episode's description, the most epic fight scene you will ever see in a movie. And it doesn't spoil the movie for you. On the contrary, it's just a really yeah. powerful fight scene. And I won't big it up too much because I know yeah. that you have to go and record with uh, Mr. Sloss. Yeah, we're doing Sloss and Humphreys on the road, which has not been on the road for a while. <laughs> Our podcast meant to be a tour, <laughs> tour journal, you know. And then the tour, the tour kind of dried up with the podcast. We just kept it going because, I don't know, it's nice to give... I love listening to it. It's, lockdown, it's, yeah. I, I do have to ask you, though, when you yeah. were talking about the... I think it was... Attenborough, some DVD with the closed captions, and you said there was the subtitles, and it's for the for the people who can't see too well. That was what you yeah. said in in and the. It was podcast. on Blu-ray. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's for the people who can't hear well, Kai. Not for the people who can't see too well. Yeah, but the funniest part of that no, whole thing no. is Daniel was like. Are you sure? And then he was like, "Uh huh." And then you just continued with the conversation, like it. Oh didn't... no, because you're getting me it all wrong. Beautiful. No, no, sorry, sorry. That means I didn't. I, I did mean for the hardest. There was bits where it was explaining what was happening in the picture. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I fucked that up. Yeah, I totally. <laughs> no, but it was really adorable because he was like, <laughs> like <laughs> I the whole yeah. thing was like, he was pretty much like, "Are you sure?" And then you were like, uh-huh. And then yeah. you just kept going. He was like, okay, cool, cool. Was that, was that a recent one as well? I, uh, you know, I, I I love you, Kai, really, but I just like... No, I think I was talking about, I was meant to be talking about the audio assist where it was tell, talking you through what was happening in the picture. But yeah. then the picture yeah. was in Blu-ray. That's what I was meant to be explaining. Oh, yeah, yeah I, uh, I do shit that all the time. But <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one of the reasons why everyone loves you, man, is <laughs> you're nice, human. I do it more often than I know because half the time I don't even realize. And then there's just like people like you just watching it going, oh, for fuck's sake, Kai. And there's people like Daniel who are even trying to tell us and I don't hear it. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to call back to something you said about the trigger warning and trying to talk about sensitive, dark subjects. I've been doing a bit of online coaching with martin moore he does these online he's good he's good he was quite often until recently yeah you know he was like giving me this advice about like when you write a certain gag that there are going to be certain as you said like you know it makes the audience feel uncomfortable so like a case in point when you would do your material about down syndrome yeah I've been writing nonstop. I've been like writing like shows for when we get back to doing one hour specials. I've been writing gags, even though there's no stage. I've been writing, writing, writing. And because I've been going through some, I won't bring it up in fullness, but let's just say I'm going through so many emotional milestones that I'm trying to incorporate the humor in them because I always felt like, you know, and I learned this on the day my sister, my older sister, and this was kind of one of the reasons why I I related to dark because i watched dark just before i went to the uk to say goodbye to mom in october 2019 but what was funny was that not funny haha but funny like uh was when my older sister passed away the day she passed away that me and her husband i guess you could say widower we were telling each other jokes as a way of sort of just using the joke to be a coping mechanism. Because I think if there's one thing I've noticed and observed from that day until forever is that humor is the cement, it's the glue that keeps the fabric of life going, whether it's good times or bad times. Yeah. And I don't think that me, I mean, me personally, I don't think that any material should ever be off limits, depending on the country you're in, of course. But um, like, I don't think that any subject matter should ever be off limits. And I just, I think it's really great that, you know, there are comedians like yourself, like Tom and like Jojo and so many others that go into the dark areas and write such eloquent material about it, that it becomes like a gateway for other comedians to sort of continue the process of approaching and in tackling dark matter. But one thing I'm kind of worried about, and I wanted to ask your opinion on this, is the whole cancel culture. Like me personally, I don't pay it any heed. Do you pay the cancel culture any heed? Nah, because I, I, I don't pay it any heed because I, I don't think that 
I don't think I've done anything that would warrant being cancelled. Like, if somebody tried to, like, fucking Sarah Pascoe wrote about us in a book with some fucking shit that I'd said, took it out of context, and, like, I'm like, you're, you're never going to cancel... Exactly, right? Oh, no. so you're... <laughs> exactly. Oh, no. Sarah you're who? Gonna... Exactly. <laughs> you're never, never going to cancel us with that shit, man. Like, you haven't... Like, if, if you want to take that, like, here's another hundred things I said in that fucking kind of breath, you know? Uh, you, right. you can't... Like, like, uh, like I, I just give you more shit to, against us if you think that's going to bring us down. I don't, I don't walk around thinking that like, oh shit, if that comes up, I'm done. If that comes up, I'm done. I, I don't feel like I've got any of them skeletons. I don't feel like I. And even even sometimes, like if I'll have a slip of the tongue, I'll just go, oh god, what have, like what have I said? And, and I and I brush over it, and I'm like, ah, that that'll not be the first slip of the tongue. That'll not be the last. But I, I don't worry that it's going to bring us down. Like, uh, nah, I don't, I think it's like the only people that really have to worry about cancel culture are people that have done something to warrant getting canceled. Yeah. If you haven't done something to warrant getting canceled, you'll probably be all right. It'll just be annoying for a while. Yeah. And also what, like, what is canceled? Does does that mean, what am I going to lose followers? Does that mean people are going to stop laughing when I tell jokes? What, like, (laughs) what's canceled? Like, is is my wife going to stop loving us? Like, is, is the meals I cook not going to be tasty anymore? Like, what, what's cancelled about my life? Like, every, will everything just go on like normal? Is it? Is it just my social media presence that gets dulled? Like, what's the, what happens to my life if somebody decides that, like, <laughs> that the things that I'm saying are inappropriate for the world's ears? Like, I don't know what happens. Like, I, I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what cancelled is for me. What are they going to pull me Twitch platform? Like it, it all just seems a little bit like something that doesn't really exist. Yeah, I, I, I think you, you answered that quite beautifully. I don't think anyone, because that's the thing. There's always going to be somebody that gets offended at some joke. There's always going to be like in a room of 30 people in the audience, you could say a joke like you might, you know, you might do that joke about whatever someone in the audience takes offense at it. But then there's the rest of the room that's laughing. So it doesn't really. Yeah, as long as you're being funny. Well, <laughs> before, you'll be okay. And, and as well, not just as long as you're being funny. As long as you're told <laughs> right. The minute yeah, the minute yeah, stuff is hate speech. Yeah. That's when it starts getting shit, man. And that's when you go, oh look, I don't care if you get cancelled or not. I'm not going to listen to that. I live in a world where I can just mute you from my life. So if somebody starts giving it the hate speech or talking like uh, in a in a way that I don't like hearing, and I, I like, and it's not for me then it's just, it's not for me. Exactly, because that's nicely said. There's a world of difference between in context and then hate speech. Kai, before we let you go, uh, do you have anything you'd like our listeners to really focus on? All the links to everything will be in the episode, of course, like your Twitch stream. I'd, I'd, li- I'd like to uh, invite them to join our community. If they, if they want to just pop their head in, find us on Twitch, We've got a Discord channel, which you can find through my Twitch stream. If you're watching live, it'll, it'll end up being dropped in the comments in a link. Josephine handles all that stuff. She's there, like, she's like, if anybody needs, if anyone wants to see Kai's show, if anyone wants to listen to the podcast, if anyone wants to join the Discord, Josephine's on fire in the, in the comments. She's an with, absolute wizard. She's a total <laughs> wizard. So, yeah, it, it's an easy community to uh, get swept up in and you won't regret it. Like, just come and meet some awesome people, which is how I hang out with you guys is through this community so uh yeah come and come and join us all in team muggins team muggins is definitely the place to go listeners i go there every tuesday and friday kai yeah (laughs) you've been an amazing (laughs) guest (laughs) thank you so much for doing this and i look forward to having you again on the show with no name yes thanks man lovely seeing you both always thanks for having us yeah. And thank you for enjoying the show with no name podcast, not officially sponsored by any coffee makers out there, but we are taking applications. Any sponsors out there that want to sponsor jewels in Pittsburgh with coffee or to sponsor safe in Alexandria with coffee. We are happy to consume your coffee on the show with no name podcast. Peace be upon you. Namaste and all that jazz.